Let's now read together from the Hutterberg Catechism, Lord's Day 16. Why was it necessary for Christ to humble himself even unto death? Because of the justice and truth of God, satisfaction for our sins could be made in no other way than by the death of the Son of God. Why was he buried? His burial testified that he had really died. Since Christ has died for us, why do we still have to die? Our death is not a payment for our sins, but it puts an end to sin and is an entrance into eternal life. What further benefit do you receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? Through Christ's death, our old nature is crucified, put to death, and buried with him, so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer reign in us, but that we may offer ourselves to him as a sacrifice of thankfulness. Wiser added, he descended into hell. In my greatest sorrows and temptations, I may be assured and comforted that my Lord Jesus Christ, by his unspeakable anguish, pain, terror, and agony, which he endured throughout all his sufferings, but especially on the cross, has delivered me from the anguish and torment of hell. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, abandonment is a terrible thing. To be abandoned means to be left alone. Implicit in this is some kind of rejection. It involves being forsaken by one whom you would expect to love and care for you. There are situations where a mother abandons a child at birth because she feels like she cannot care for him. There are times when parents live in such abject poverty that they abandon children because they cannot feed them. These are situations where someone is left behind with no one to care for him or her. Such rejection does not just happen to children left behind by parents. Other situations can arise in life where people feel forsaken. It can happen to a child in a family whose needs get neglected. It can happen to a student in a class who gets picked on. Can happen to a family in the congregation that gets left alone in the midst of their troubles and sorrows. Abandonment is a terrible thing. Few of us realize what it actually means to be cut off from the love and the support of those around us. This afternoon, we continue the catechism's dealing with the works of our Lord Jesus Christ. We focus on what it means that Christ died, was buried, and descended into hell. We'll see how the Father rejected his Son. How Christ was forsaken in a way that we cannot even begin to imagine. How he suffered unspeakable anguish, pain, terror, and agony. Christ did this for us, to save us from the anguish and torment of hell. I preach to you the word of God under the following theme. Christ was forsaken by God that we might never more be forsaken by him. We'll see why God forsook Christ and why God will never forsake us. It is striking to note the place of Christ ascended to hell in the Apostles' Creed. We confess that Christ suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he arose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. 
When reading through the Apostles' Creed, it appears to give the events of Christ's life in a chronological order. First, Christ suffered, was crucified, dead, and buried. Then he descended into hell, and on the third day he arose again and later ascended into heaven. From a surface reading the Apostles' Creed, it's easy to conclude that between Christ's death and resurrection, our Lord spent some time in hell, the place of eternal punishment. So did our Lord actually descend into hell between the time of his death and resurrection? Some theologians suggest that this is the case. We know that after his death, Christ's body was placed into a tomb. It's proof that Christ truly died. But what happened to his soul, his spirit? Did it go to hell? Did it go to that place described in the Bible as a lake of fire, the place of blackest darkness, the place of eternal torment for those who hate God? That is not what our catechism teaches. Question answer 37 teaches teaches us about the time of Christ's suffering. It notes that during all the time he lived on earth, but especially at the end, Christ bore in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. Question answer 44 explains Christ descended to hell as his unspeakable anguish, pain, terror, and agony, which he endured throughout all his sufferings, but especially on the cross. Our catechism definitely does not support the idea of a literal descent by Christ into hell. But what does the Bible teach? Does it support the idea of a literal descent by Christ into hell during the three days between his death and resurrection? The words spoken by Christ on the cross oppose this. Think about the words that Jesus spoke to the repentant criminal crucified beside him. Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Today, Jesus said, not three days from now, today. Because Jesus expected that after his suffering on the cross was finished, the Father would accept the Spirit of his Son into heaven to be with him. There's another word of Christ spoken on the cross that demonstrates that Christ did not descend into hell between his death and resurrection. At the end of the three hours of darkness, Jesus said, it is finished. If Jesus had to go from the suffering of the cross to further suffering in hell, he would never have spoken those words. For then his task would not yet have been complete. Thus, the words that is finished also indicate that Jesus' spirit did not go to hell after his death. It could be conclusively proven by final say that Jesus spoke on the cross. After crying out, it is finished, Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. In speaking these words, Jesus quoted from Psalm 31. These words demonstrate clearly that Christ didn't go to hell after dying on the cross. After his death on the cross, Christ's work was complete. He committed his spirit into the hands of his Father. His spirit was taken to be with his Father into heavenly joy and glory. 
So why then does the Apostles' Creed say he descended into hell? What is the meaning of this article of our faith? Our creed does not refer to something that Christ endured after he died. Instead, it refers to the anguish, pain, terror, and agony which he endured throughout all his sufferings, but especially on the cross. Our Lord endured tremendous suffering during all the time he was on earth. His suffering intensified as he approached the end of his life and reached a climax when he was crucified. The first part of Psalm 22 speaks about the way in which Christ suffered. He was despised and ridiculed by the people. They shook their heads at him, saying, He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Christ was surrounded by enemies. His blood was poured out like water. All his bones were out of joint. Soldiers pierced his hands and feet. They divided his garments among them, and for his clothing they cast lots. For us, beloved, it's impossible to understand the depths of Christ's suffering. For Christ, the deepest sorrow was not the rejection of the people whom he had loved with all his heart. For him, the worst thing was not the physical pain of crucifixion, although it would have been excruciating. The deepest sufferings our Lord underwent came from the rejection of his Father in heaven. During all the time that he lived on earth, Christ had lived in close communion with his Father. He went to the Father in prayer repeatedly, seeking strength for his daily tasks. He knew that he could depend on the Father's love and care for everything he needed. Yet while he was on the cross, Christ was forsaken by God. We cannot even begin to imagine what that would have been like for our Savior. The cry of God's people throughout the ages has been, Forsake us not, O God. Many of the Psalms plead with God not to forsake his people, and God never did. Sometimes we feel forsaken, sometimes we speak of being forsaken. But this abandonment is never entirely real. For God does not thrust us aside. He doesn't turn his back on us. He doesn't close the door to us. But for Christ, this was different. For God withdrew himself and all his gifts from Christ. The close communion Christ had with the Father was broken. The grace of the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from Christ. There were no angels to support Christ in the agony of his suffering. Our Lord was completely abandoned by his heavenly Father. It happened while Christ hung on the cross. The fact that God withdrew himself and all his gifts from Christ is symbolized by the darkness that God brought on the land from the sixth to the ninth hour. In the Bible, darkness is associated with the work of the devil. God sent the torments of hell against Christ. We pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
But with Christ, the opposite happened. God delivered him into the hands of the evil one. Psalm 22 speaks about this. It speaks of how God allowed his son to be attacked. We know that in the early Christian church, Christians were made sport of in the Roman arenas. They were set in the midst of the arena, and then wild animals were released. These animals attacked and devoured our brothers and sisters, martyrs for the faith. That's the kind of thing pictured in Psalm 22. Yet it's God who opens the gates to allow the wild animals to attack Christ. Psalm 22 mentions he's surrounded by bulls, wild oxen, dogs, and lions. God released the dragon, that ancient serpent. He gave Christ over into the power of Satan. Words cannot describe to us the tremendous suffering of our Savior. He suffered hellish agony. He suffered under the most severe satanic attack imaginable. Not just physically, but especially spiritually. Yet for Jesus, what Satan did was not even the worst thing. Christ's deepest sorrow came from the rejection, the abandonment of his heavenly Father. After three hours of darkness, Christ does not quote the part of Psalm 22, referring to the attack of bulls, wild oxen, dogs, or lions. Instead, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Beloved, do you know what hell is? There is no doubt that hell is a place in God's universe. Unlike some of the mainstream churches, we believe in the reality of hell. The Lord Jesus warned us about hell. He said it was a place of unquenchable fire. Hell is also referred to as the outer darkness, the bottomless pit, the lake of burning sulfur, and the second death. The Bible uses different images to describe hell. The images are powerful. They are fear-inspiring. But the worst thing about hell is not the fire or the darkness. The worst thing about hell is being forsaken by God. While living on this earth, God shows his goodness to the righteous and to evildoers alike. But all God's goodness, all God's grace are withdrawn from those who enter hell. The most frightening thing about hell is being left for eternity to yourself. The person who wanted nothing to do with God gets his wish. He's left to his own devices forevermore. Beloved, can you ever remember being lost as a young child? That panic, that feeling of abandonment, the idea you might never see your parents again. Amplify that feeling infinitely. And you may get a glimmer of what it means to be forsaken by God. Hell is being cut off from God forevermore. It means that God turns his face away from us. That his goodness, mercy, love, grace, and faithfulness are withheld. 
withheld forevermore. Christ suffered God forsakenness. He suffered under the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. Christ had to undergo this suffering in order to bear our punishment. He underwent hellish agony for you and for me. That's the good news of the gospel, beloved. That Christ suffered and died in our place as our substitute. His descent into hell assures and comforts us that Christ has delivered us from the anguish and the torment of hell. He was forsaken by God that we might nevermore be forsaken by him. Having seen why God forsook Christ, we now come to our second point, and it will see why God will never forsake us. Beloved, have you ever been rejected by someone? Have you ever had the situation where others pulled back from you and left you alone? Where because of judgments others made about you, you felt abandoned? If so, you've experienced a small taste of what it means to be forsaken. Today we live in a world where the forces of individualism are growing stronger and stronger. Many are focused on themselves, on fulfilling their own needs and desires. Selfishness is becoming more and more a problem around us. It affects us in our families, affects us as church community. The problem with a self-seeking lifestyle is that it has little regard for those around you. Some people are only your friends when you need something from them. The world we live in today can be a lonely place. There are people who have been rejected by their family, forsaken by their friends. They got nobody. They're starved for just a little bit of love. Our natural tendency is to alienate those who are different. Anyone who doesn't quite conform to our standards will often face some form of rejection. It can happen in our families. It does happen within the communion of saints. The result is that people are left to themselves. They end up feeling alone, forsaken. Beloved, are we sufficiently aware of what can happen to a child in a family that feels unloved? Do we realize what a powerful weapon we give the evil one when we neglect to give our children the love they sometimes so desperately crave? Evaluate for a moment what has happened to some of your peers that were picked on and bullied at school. Could it be that they left God and his church because of the rejection and the alienation that they suffered? In Psalm 31, we see how David cries out in the midst of his alienation. He speaks about how, because of his adversaries, he has become a reproach to his neighbors. David says, I'm an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. Just imagine the hurt of seeing someone you know, of a friend seeing you and then turning away because they don't want to speak with you. David's despised, rejected, forsaken because of the nasty things people are saying about him. In the, midst of his, in the midst of his distress, David calls upon the Lord. 
He prays, make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently, insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. We see David pleads with the Lord for deliverance. He asks the Lord to shut the mouths of all who slander him. Both Psalms 22 and 31 indicate there was a time when David felt cut off from God. We often interpret Psalm 22 as a messianic psalm, and we apply it to Christ. And while that's correct, we need to understand that this psalm was in the first place written by David, and that it applied to him. He was the first to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And similarly in Psalm 31, verse 22, David said to the Lord, I am cut off from your sight. Beloved, we need to realize that this is often how people feel when rejected and cut off by their fellow man. They feel rejected and forsaken by God. God often uses people to communicate his love and his care for his people. God uses us as his instruments to provide for the poor, the sick, the lonely, all those who bear heavy burdens. In this, we see the awesome responsibility we've been given in the command to love one another as Christ first loved us. In the Christian church, no one should suffer rejection. No one should be forsaken. Christ has suffered that on our behalf. Christ suffered unspeakable anguish, pain, terror, and agony. And thereby he has delivered us from the anguish and torment of hell. He was forsaken by God that we might never more be forsaken by him. Like David did and like the Lord Jesus Christ did, We can commit our spirit into the hands of our Heavenly Father. As our rock, as our fortress, the Lord will never forsake us. Beloved, never believe that if Satan tries to sell the lie that you are all alone, that nobody cares about you. Most of the time it's not true about your fellow man. Some misunderstanding or miscommunication may have led to a breakdown in your relationship with a family member or friend. But even if it were true that all those around you have forsaken you, you may be assured of the fact your Heavenly Father never will. David confessed that in Psalm 31. He says in verses 19 and 20, Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Our Father delivers his children from their distress. He is near to all those who call on him. Psalm 27 makes it abundantly clear that God is our refuge and strength, that he will never forsake his children. And we see David pleading with the Lord not to forsake him. He says, hide not your face from me, turn not your servant away in anger. 
O you have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God, of my salvation. And then David makes that beautiful confession. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Why would God do that? Because God, through Christ, is our Father. And we are his children. God's love for us is so great, he sent his only Son into this world to suffer and die for us, to redeem us from sin and Satan, from death and hell. And so we may be assured and comforted. In this world, we may hear of tragedies like parents abandoning their children. In this world, we may suffer heartbreak, being rejected or forsaken by a close friend or relative. But one thing remains certain. God's love is everlasting. He will not forsake the work of his hands. And now, beloved, what is your response to the steadfast love and tender mercies of your God? Do you rejoice in the grace of God, your Savior? Our Father has shown forth his love toward us in forsaking his beloved Son, that we might never more be forsaken by him. In response, let us praise God. I'd like to conclude this afternoon with some encouraging words from David in Psalm 22. He said, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, you, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. Let's us, let us respond with thankfulness and joy to the grace of our Savior. Let us demonstrate that by loving one another as Christ first loved us. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing from Psalm 27, stanzas 5 and 6.